I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. We want to read the Word of God this morning under the heading of Sabbath mercies from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let's give our attention to the Word of God this morning. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then He took him and healed him and sent him away. And He said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This is the Word of the Lord. May He add His blessing to it. My most dear friends, it is right to say that the Sabbath, especially in light of Christ's redemptive work, is for us a foretaste of heaven. Each Lord's Day, when we hear the Gospel proclaimed, and we witness and participate in these two sacraments, we are reminded week after week, year after year, God has promised to deliver His people from their sins. He has shown us mercy in Christ. Even though we as a creation have rebelled against our Creator, He has looked upon us with mercy, looked upon us in pity, and given us His Son as a guarantor of our deliverance. And the Sabbath has always been a time set apart to meditate on God's work. Remember, even before the fall in the Garden of Eden, there was a Sabbath day where they were to Meditate on what we just sang. God's wonderful creating act. We see that when we read the Ten Commandments. Uh, Young children, if you remember this morning when we read from Exodus chapter 20, why did it say that the Jews should practice the Sabbath rest? Why should they take a day off? What did it say in Exodus 20? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. That is, they were to worship God for His wonderful acts of creation. One thing that you may find interesting is that in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are stated twice. Many of you probably know this. First in Exodus chapter 20, and then a second reiteration of the Ten Commandments is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But did you know that there is one difference between the recitation in 20 and Deuteronomy 5? Do you know what that difference is? 
It has to do with the Sabbath day. Instead, as they prepare to enter the promised land of saying, you shall remember the Sabbath day for the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. From these two readings of the Ten Commandments, these two givings of the law, we understand the spirit of the Sabbath practice. That we are to come every Sunday, and the Jews were to come every Saturday, and to worship God for His creating and His redeeming work. That was to be Israel's delight. Not only that God created, but that even when creation rebelled, God was merciful. He was merciful to them. But as we come to the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus walks upon the earth, what does He find the Sabbath practice to be of the people of God? We do not find the people of God delighting in God. We do not find them being refreshed in His creating and His redeeming work. No, rather than refreshment in God, Jesus finds Israel bound up due to the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. Due to the leaders of Israel's legalistic customs, it was no longer a day of rest and gladness. It was a day of exhaustion and frustration. And so Jesus clashes with the Pharisees often in His ministry. Four times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will confront them concerning their understanding of the Sabbath. And He clashes with them because in Christ... He does not exhibit a man-made Sabbath practice. But He exhibits a heavenly Sabbath practice. In Jesus Christ, we see a true rest, a true delight, a true foretaste of heavenly deliverance that we too can receive in Him. That's what I want you to see from our time together. That in Jesus Christ, there is a return to a true Sabbath practice. And we want to see this in three motions here. Three movements, I should say, this morning. We see a hostile Sabbath meal in verses 1-2. through A Sabbath controversy in verses 3-4. through And a Sabbath healing in verses 4-6. through That's a Sabbath meal, a Sabbath controversy, and a Sabbath healing. First, we see uh, that Jesus is invited to an interesting meal in Luke 14, verse 1, where it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. As I just mentioned, this is the fourth confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath day. 
Uh, we see another confrontation in Luke 6, verses 1 through 5, and then again in chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, verses, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, and this is the fourth and the final dispute. This theme, it sort of acts as a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke that Jesus and the Pharisees have a different view of the Sabbath. And Luke has been showing us, if you flip back to Luke verse 1, or 1 verse 1, that he is showing us, he's compiling this narrative to show us that Jesus has come from God. Verse 4, that you can have certainty about the things that you have been taught. But what these repeated Sabbath incidents show us is that, at least for the Pharisees, nothing Jesus says and does really matters to them. Consider that in Christ, there is exhibited a true rest. There's a true delighting in God. It's a true embodiment of what the Jews were supposed to be doing. And instead, look at their response in verse 1. It can't be described as anything else but hostility. The mood is very clear. It says they were watching Him carefully. Another way you could maybe interpret this is they were watching Him with hostile intent. In a modern day English, we might say they were keeping their eye on Him. Watching, waiting for Him to make a mistake upon which they could pounce. As it says in, Matthew, or in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, that's when they began to plot to kill Him. So here they are seeing if He'll fall before their eyes. The Pharisees, they hated Jesus Christ. They hated Him because he, he frequently denounced them before the people as hypocrites. The Pharisees were the chief among the religious leaders of the Jews. There was the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes, but the Pharisees were the greatest among them. They were sort of known as the devout, religionous, extremely zealous for the Mosaic laws, but also extremely zealous for their own extra-biblical interpretation of the law. And what makes the issue with the Pharisees so challenging is that in many ways, their theology was correct. They were right when, they came, when it came to the subject of the resurrection of the dead. They were right about angels and demons. They were right about predestination, about human responsibility, problem with the Pharisees was that they thought much of themselves and they couldn't live up to their own strict teaching. They ended up abandoning true religion for an external religion. They desired the respect of men more than the approval of God and their superficial external righteousness fell short of what heaven demanded. What this means Beloved, is that their zeal for the law couldn't get them to heaven. And not only that, what we see in this story is that their zeal for the law did not lead them to mercy. 
It didn't lead them to compassion for the lowly. So Jesus often throughout the Gospels will say of them, they are emissaries of Satan and wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7. They are hypocrites and fools, Matthew 23. They are whitewashed tombs, 23-27. A brood of vipers, 23-33. They are the blind leading the blind to hell. These are the people with whom Jesus is invited to a dinner party with. You can imagine as Jesus walks into that room, the hostility. And we know from verse 3 that the lawyers and the other Pharisees present are there that they might have a ground of accusation against Jesus Christ. But they're not the only people there. In verse 2, another character is introduced who I do not think is there by chance. We read in verse 2, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. I think it's likely that he was an invited guest by these Pharisees. Again, in 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 an attempt to trap Jesus Christ. You see, in a crowd of lawyers and Pharisees and Jesus and His disciples, one man sticks out like a sore thumb who had dropsy. He would have been easily recognizable uh, due to his condition. Dropsy, or as we say now, edema, is a medical condition which causes the body to abnormally retain excess fluids. The hands would swell up to twice their size. The face would become very bloated. The belly would be full. Causing so much swelling. And so you can imagine in a crowd of lawyers and Pharisees and Jesus, these are the most dignified characters in Israel. And here's this one bloated, suffering man. Historically, it also seems that the rabbis would have regarded this man as ritually unclean. But more so, he would have been regarded as a man who is a sinner. See, the primary symptom of dropsy or edema is an unquenchable thirst But drinking all this fluids only afflicted the person more. And so for the Pharisees and even the philosophers, the Greek philosophers also note these things, these people who had this affliction became a, a word picture. They became an illustration of gluttony. They believed that this afflicted person had committed a grievous sin And now what is happening in his body is a visible illustration of his greed, his lust, and his gluttony. Imagine yourself this morning being in this poor brother's shoes. Being put on display like this. They were saying, not only does he have an insatiable desire for water, but he has an insatiable desire for sin. That's why they said he had dropsy. 
So I'm not under the persuasion that the Pharisees would have invited a ritually unclean man to their dinner party. They saw Christ's mercy to the afflicted. They saw His pattern of healing the hurt. They wanted Him to violate their own Sabbath restrictions. Consider how twisted that is this morning. They would view the healing. Which John says, excuse me, uh, Nicodemus says in John chapter 3, is the very evidence that Jesus is from God. And they would say, that is the evidence that He is not from God. This is an astonishing display of hypocrisy. They are the self-appointed guardians of the rabbinic law, and here they are encouraging, tempting, hoping that Jesus will break their law. What kind of righteousness is that? And so the Pharisees thought, Pharisees, excuse me, throughout Luke's Gospel were described as lovers of money. People pleasers. Zealous for their own honor. Constantly indulging themselves in sin. What we need to see this morning is it wasn't the man with dropsy who was in need of healing. Although he needs healing, of course, in his physical body. The real need of healing here was the Pharisees with their moral dropsy. They were the ones who needed healing. Not this poor brother who was put on display. That's where we see the Sabbath meal. But if you look up into the point, uh, our point here in verse 2, nobody has spoken. In fact, Jesus is the only one who speaks in this narrative. But you could imagine if you were there, you could cut the tension with a knife. One question I had on my mind as I prepared this message. If this is a trap, why did Jesus even go to this meal? Surely He would have known it was a trap. Surely He would have known of their intentions. But I think I know why Jesus went to this meal. Christ went to this meal because He is merciful. In that house, there is a lost sheep of Israel. So He comes in mercy. In a sense, Jesus even mercifully proclaims the Gospel to the Pharisees. The ones who are trying to trap Him and kill Him. He goes because on the Sabbath we practice mercy. And beloved, isn't this exactly what the Pharisees are missing in their rabbinic laws? The Sabbath day was given to commemorate and to practice mercy. Look at this unspoken accusation in verse 3. It says in our ESV Bibles, and Jesus responded. But they didn't say anything. Just with their eyes, their body language, with the fact that the man of dropsy is there, they are accusing Jesus of wrongdoing. 
And look at Jesus' question in verse 3 with me. He spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now allow me to be absolutely clear this morning. Jesus has already answered in Luke chapter 6 that it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. On three different occasions in this Gospel, He has healed on the Sabbath day. In chapter 4, verse 31. In chapter 6, 6-11. through In chapter 13, 10-17. He has already said in Luke 6, verse 5, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Therefore, the principal thrust of this question is not, is it permissible to heal on the Sabbath? The principal thrust of this question is, is it permissible to be merciful on the Sabbath day? Is it permissible to practice mercy on the Sabbath day? I like this definition of mercy. Mercy is having compassion on the miserable. Mercy is having compassion on the miserable. But if you look at the Gospel accounts, were the Pharisees ever compassionate to the miserable? Jesus says in Matthew 23, the Pharisees were those who tithed much, but by their actions did not practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They were the leader, reader, excuse me, they were the preachers of the law, but they shut the kingdom of heaven to those who sought salvation. They were indignant and angry in Mark 3 when Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath day. Is it permissible to be merciful? On the Sabbath. What's their answer? Let us be absolutely clear. The Pharisees were zealous for their own honor, and by their strict observance of their own Sabbath rules, they exalted themselves, and in so doing, they oppressed the sick, they oppressed the poor, they oppressed the unclean, and Jesus is saying that is not what the Sabbath is for. Now to be fair, the rabbis did have concessions for treating a sick person on the Sabbath day. But you were only allowed to treat a sick person for their illness if they were in immediate danger of dying. What I've read, and again, I don't have an MD I'm not a physician, but from what I've read is that dropsy could be fatal. It can result in death. The Pharisees still said, he's not worthy of healing. He's not worthy of mercy on the Sabbath day. Christ then is wise to draw out these implications. What are they saying by their silence? They're saying, he's not worthy of mercy. So look at their response. 
Trick question. There is no response. Crickets. Jesus has put them in an unenviable situation. If they say the healing is permitted, that raises problems about their tradition. It raises problems about their views of the law, and they will be put to shame. If they say that it's not permitted, they will be standing against doing good and showing mercy. So they don't give an answer. You know, as we consider these words of our Lord Jesus, what is its implications for us today? Brothers and sisters, our Sundays, our Lord's Days, should be full of mercy. There is more, no other day more appropriate for works of compassion and mercy than the Sabbath day. Now, I recognize that the Sabbath day is a day of rest. The word Sabbath literally means to cease. As we read in the Ten Commandments, we cease work. We cease making other people work for us. But let us not be so zealous for a nap, so zealous for our family time, that we neglect doing good. Christ is exemplifying here, and He exemplifies throughout the Gospel of Luke that true Sabbath rest is not a physical rest. True Sabbath rest is spiritual in nature. Hopefully it can. And for many of us this afternoon, will also mean some bodily rest. But it's Principal rest is spiritual. One example that I can give to you is that for the majority of my life, we did not uh, attend evening worship uh, because we didn't go to a church that didn't have an evening service. And when uh, we were first introduced to the Reformed tradition, uh, we began to hear about this, this thing, evening worship. Well, what is that? That's what you do when you go camping. That's not what you do throughout the year. And for Lisa and I, it became a challenge to try to attend evening service. But we both began to notice that even though we were more physically tired by going to evening worship, we were more refreshed in soul And the Mondays where we did go to church in the evening felt better. Even though the body was tired. Now to be clear, I'm not trying to exalt myself or exalt Lisa, but I want to ask the question to you guys this evening, or this morning I should say, what is the aim of our Christians Christians on Sunday? Is our aim to know God's mercy? And to practice God's mercy? Or is our aim our own delight and our own rest? So, what ways can we practice Christian mercy on the Sabbath? We can visit the sick and the elderly. We can participate in the education of the church. We can invest time in our families and our ministries. But the most important thing is that we participate in the worship of God and the preaching of the word. 
and the receiving of the sacraments and make mercy the highlight of Sunday. Not the footnote. Doesn't Christ exemplify this? In verses 4-6. through In the Sabbath healing. Does Christ pursue His own glory? Does Christ pursue His own rest? Does Christ pursue any selfish thing? No. He brings sweet and merciful healing. He answers the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? By His actions. He heals the man with dropsy. But this healing is not just a demonstration of His power. It's not just a demonstration that the Pharisees lacked mercy. But it's a demonstration of what the Son of Man brings to His his people. Look at the mercy of God in Christ in verse 4. It says, He took Him, He healed Him, and He sent Him away. Even though the Pharisees haven't said a word, even as we consider the implications of this trap. He is an outcast. He is poor. He is a sinner. He is ritually uh, unclean. He is not worthy of saving. In Matthew 12, they say a sheep is worth saving. But in this, in this chapter, they make clear that this man is worth less than a sheep. But look at the mercy of God in Christ. He throws His arms around the man. He took him A forceful term meaning to grab or to seize. And by His actions, He says that this unclean, unworthy, sinful man is unclean no longer. He heals him. He takes away the shame of his condition. But I want to suggest to you this morning, He also takes away the shame of sin. By implication, I think Christ forgives this man of his sinfulness. Christ not only takes away the physical condition, but He also takes away the sins that they sought to charge Him with. Because look at what Christ says in verse 5. How does He refer to the man? Which of you having a son? What is Christ saying? This is my son. I will be merciful to my sons and daughters on the Sabbath day. And as Christ grabs him and sees him, imagine the sight of the swollen man as the excess of fluids the visible sinner, He is restored in the very eyes of the ones who denigrate Him. As the excess fluids, imagine, dramatically would have disappeared. What is Christ saying? He says the same way that you will rush into the field in order to take your son from a well, the same way you will rush into the field to save your investment in livestock, I am rushing to save my lost sheep. I am rushing to save a child of God this Sabbath day. This man goes from being the outcast of Israel to a welcomed son of heaven. 
in Christ, there is a work of recreation and a work of redemption. Do you see the mercy of God this morning? And so the Pharisees, we see their lack of mercy. They sort of act as a foil on Christ. Here they witness the healing. They're witnessing a brother who is restored to the community. This is a sinner who has been brought to repentance and salvation. And at this moment, the Pharisees in their minds are saying, Aha! We got him! He broke the law! Jesus had violated not the Mosaic law, but their rabbinic law. He healed on the Sabbath day. But before they speak, He asks them a question which reveals their lack of mercy. In verse 5, as we just said, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Christ is saying here, you're willing to break the rabbinic tradition to save an animal, to save your son. So why do you object to the healing of this person? on the Sabbath day. What Christ is saying is that the rabbinic tradition, in the rabbinic tradition, the Sabbath was no longer about compassion. It was no longer about mercy. It was no longer about the rescue of people and the Messiah to come. It was no longer about worshiping God for His creating and His redeeming. It was about themselves. And about what they wanted. Beloved, allow me to apply this word to our hearts. The Sabbath has always been and always will be for meditating on God's creating and His redeeming work. And we know from the beginning of time, people have struggled with this. We struggle to pause. We struggle to stop and to consider God's ways. Even now, We know that there are people who should be here. There are people who spur the fourth commandment for play, for business, for their own delights. What this means, my dear friends, is that the issue of Sabbath practice is not just a rabbinical issue, it's an issue of sinful hearts. Hearts that are often so cold to the works of God. God's creation, yes, is in bondage to sin and misery, but God sent a Redeemer to Israel. Jesus is that Redeemer. Creation has rebelled, but God in His mercy, in His compassion on the miserable, has provided redemption for us in Jesus Christ. What this means then is that the miracle of healing the man with dropsy is not only a sign to the lawyers and the Pharisees about their need for mercy, but it is a sign that points them to that redemption that God had promised. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who is leading us to an eternal Sabbath in heaven. And the Sabbath as a sign points us to Him. Therefore, it is eminently suitable for the Lord of the Sabbath to heal on the Sabbath day. And what does it say in verse 6? They could not 
reply to these things. So let's get this morning to the bottom line of the bottom line. The Pharisees' error is that they had preconceived ideas about the Sabbath that they thought was for their good, which led them to the neglect of mercy and compassion upon others. Can this be true of us as well? Is Sunday about the giving of God's mercy to us and others in Christ, or is Sunday about something else? Are we so zealous for our family time that we neglect the person who needs ministry? And we're all called to do the works of ministry. Are we so concerned with our plans that we neglect hospitality? And here's the big one that all of us struggle with. Are we so concerned with our own cessation, our Sunday naps, that the day becomes about nothing rather than worshiping God for His mercy and practicing mercy towards others? As one pastor says, if you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch. What is Christ demonstrating here? He is demonstrating that by His power, He brings a new order. He doesn't do away with the Sabbath. He says, I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is bringing all things to its consummation in Him. That is, in Christ and resting in Christ, God is a creating God, but He has mercifully redeemed us in Jesus Christ. And the Sabbath is to be about Christ's mercy and Christ's compassion. That's what we delight in. That's what we practice. That's what we do today is delight in Christ's mercy and compassion. That's what we'll do for all of eternity in the heavenly Sabbath. But we see there the Pharisees. There's disapproval here. They don't say, yes, Jesus, after this fourth occasion, we see that you're right. What this suggests is that to not embrace Christ's mercy, to not embrace His compassion, is that they will not be cured like the man of dropsy. They had a love for money. They had a desire for honor. They had a desire for their own law. And therefore, in their zeal, to preserve their rest on the Sabbath day, they actually forfeit the true rest in Jesus Christ. They forfeit the true rest that Sunday, that Sabbath practice point us towards. Rest in Jesus Christ. So dear congregation, what do we rest in this Sabbath day? That God has been merciful towards us in Christ. May that be our delight. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that for us in Jesus Christ, the Sabbath is a day of rest and gladness. It is a day where we can commemorate that God, You have created 
and that you have also redeemed us in our Savior. Help us, Lord, to not be pharisaical in our understanding of Sunday. That it would not be about our laws or what we can do or cannot do, but Lord, it would be a day of worship, of wonder, of joy, and the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have healed us of our moral dropsy. That we, like the Pharisees, love money and love our own rest, our own zeal, our own honor. But you have looked upon us with compassion. You have come to our dinner houses and that you have taken hold of us and healed us of our sins. We pray, Heavenly Father, that that would be our joy this Sunday. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.